Acts chapter 1, let's begin reading together at verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, Lord, I come to this time very reverently and very humbly before you. I recognize my own inadequacies, but I recognize at the same time your all-sufficiency. And so I am asking that you will help me to put myself aside so that I will not speak my opinions but I will only speak your word. That you will help us to hear only what the Spirit would want us to hear in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you and I ask you to draw them to your side. I particularly pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. Don't let one of them be lost, O Lord. Send the Holy Spirit after them. Draw them to yourself. And we will give you all the praise for everything that is accomplished. For we pray these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Right about sunrise on October 7th of this year, the terrorist organization known as Hamas launched an attack by land, sea, and air against the nation of Israel. The reports of the indiscriminate slaughter of people, including civilians, senior adults, children, handicapped, are heartbreaking and disturbing. The images of the devastation and carnage are gut-wrenching. The callous disregard for life and the terrorizing of innocents taken hostage is unconscionable. The initial attack was launched from Gaza on the southern border of Israel. However, it wasn't long before attacks were also launched by Hezbollah from Lebanon against the northern border. As we sit in this service today, it's been a little over a month since the heinous act was initiated. Israel has retaliated in defense of its borders and citizens. Prime Minister Netanyahu has declared a state of war. The fighting continues with casualties mounting on both sides. Not long after word of the attack became public knowledge, my social media and news feeds were filled with armchair prophets 
confidently proclaiming this latest outbreak of violence in the Middle East was the beginning of either the biblical prophecy in Psalm 83 or the prophetic message of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Most of those I simply ignored. But what really caught my attention was the comments posted to those threads by their viewers and readers. Most of the comments were made by people who identified themselves as Christian believers. And most, not all, but most of the comments were laced with anxiety and fear. It's almost as if we can't help ourselves. Every time there is some horrible calamity, be it a massive earthquake or a cataclysmic flood or a volcanic eruption, or especially if it is a military conflict involving Israel. Regardless of the nature, when disaster strikes, that's when you can expect the experts to come out of the woodwork proclaiming, it's almost time, this is the end. Interviews are conducted, articles are written, books are rushed into publication, there is a frenzy of activity hastening to capitalize on the assertion of impending doom. Meanwhile, the average believer trying to figure out how to make it from one day to the next with some semblance of normalcy is swept along in the mounting hysteria with a sense of uneasiness at best and foreboding and terror at worst. Right on the front end of the message, I want to give you a couple of truths you need to remember. First, prophecy is rarely understood in advance or even while it is being fulfilled. It is only after the event, after the fulfillment, that we are able to line up all the pieces and declare this is what the prophecy was talking about. Prophecy may alert us with foresight, but we are only able to understand it in hindsight. Second, your perspective determines your conclusions. This is true not only as it relates to this particular subject, but it's true across the board in every arena of your life. Your perspective determines your conclusions. Let me illustrate it this way. Suppose I've been on one of my trips where I've been traveling a couple of weeks in Europe doing ministry. I've uh, come to the end of my travels and I'm sitting in the airport waiting to board the plane for home. While I'm sitting there, I pull out my phone, send a text to my wife that says, see you soon, I'm almost home. Now, Suppose I leave the office after work one day next week, get in my truck, and before pulling out of the parking lot, I send my wife a text saying, see you soon, I'm almost home. It's the same message. Both statements are accurate, but they mean completely different things. Soon and almost home are relative to the amount of time I've been away and the distance I have yet to travel. In the first case, soon and almost home means about 18 hours. In the second scene, soon and almost home means about 15 minutes. Soon 
and almost home are relative terms based upon where you are and your perspective. This example says a whole lot about the current climate in which we find ourselves today. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has begun his earthly ministry after overcoming the temptation in the wilderness. In verse 17 of that chapter, Matthew writes, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, watch this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In chapter 16, Peter proclaims the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Following that scene, Jesus talks about the cost of being his disciple. But then in verses 27 and 28, he says, for the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly, watch this. I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. In Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus says to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Just from those three passages, do you see how this could lead to some confusion? First, Jesus says the kingdom is at hand. Next, he says some of the disciples would not die until they see the establishment of the kingdom. And then he says the kingdom of God is already here. It's in your midst. But by the time we get to our text in Acts chapter 1, the disciples are here asking if this is the time when Jesus is going to restore the kingdom. See, as far as they were concerned, everybody doing okay? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to try to walk you through this today, all right? I don't, know, I don't know if we'll get real excited about it at any point, but uh, that's all right. Sometimes we just need to hear some things. As far as they were concerned, when Jesus called them three years earlier, these disciples thought they were signing on for some kind of Jewish renewal movement. This motley band of followers thought God had appointed Jesus to be the true king of Israel in some kind of earthly and, and uh, ordinary sense. Jesus, with his miracle-working power and revolutionary teaching, would rule in Jerusalem and would restore Israel. And when that happened, the whole world would be turned around. At last, Israel would be the top nation, the reigning superpower, ruling over the rest of the world, and they were hoping for top jobs in his government. For 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus gave further instruction about the kingdom of God. Now, in our text, Jesus has led them outside the city to the Mount of Olives and gives them instructions to not leave Jerusalem until they receive the promise of the Father, which was to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, by now, the disciples are thoroughly confused. First, the kingdom is at hand. Then they're not going to see death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, but the kingdom is already in their midst. And for the last 40 days, they've been given additional instruction about when the kingdom was going to come and what it was going to look like. It's no wonder they ask in verse 6 of our text, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Here we are some 2,000 years later, and we're still asking the same question. Every time tragedy strikes, is this the time when the kingdom is going to be restored? Every time war is declared, what prophecy is this fulfilling? Every time Israel is attacked, is this the time of the end? 
One of the big questions on the mind of people has to do with an event called the Great Tribulation. Anybody ever heard about a Great Tribulation? We read the prophecies in the book of Daniel and the book of the Revelation and try to overlay the headlines of the daily news with certain verses in those books. And depending on who you listen to, you can come up with all kinds of possibilities. It's important, as I said earlier, to know the perspective of the person dispensing the information because remember, your perspective determines your conclusions. One group approaches the Bible and world events from the perspective of dispensational theology. In this view, history is divided into periods of time known as dispensations. According to this perspective, we are now living in the dispensational age of the church. And they would say when this age is concluded, then Jesus is going to catch the church away in what is called the rapture. Following the rapture of the church, when the church is removed from the earth, then will follow the great tribulation, which will last for seven years. Has anybody ever heard this? Okay, all right. At the midpoint of those years, somewhere around year three and a half of the great tribulation, the Antichrist will be revealed. At the end of the seven years will come the battle of Armageddon. Christ will lead a heavenly army to defeat the Antichrist and all of Satan's demonic forces and will then establish his kingdom rule on the earth for a thousand years in what is known as the millennial kingdom. Now, if you have a dispensational perspective, every verse, every prophecy, and every world event is filtered through that lens. And when you do that, you continually are finding pieces that fit the puzzle of the end times. You even find a way to shoehorn verses that seem to lead you in a different direction into the narrative that fits your perspective and conforms to your conclusion. And that's also, by the way, one of the reasons because we're trying to fit these pieces why people keep changing their minds and changing their dates. There are, however, other perspectives that lead to different conclusions. I don't have time in one message to talk about all of them, but let me briefly touch on a couple. A different perspective is the mid-tribulation and or pre-wrath tribulation view. This view states the church will not completely escape the time of trouble, but will endure severe persecution for the first three and a half years of the tribulation and is not going to be rescued before the revelation of the Antichrist. Once this man of sin and lawlessness is revealed, the saints will be caught up with Christ, and then the wrath of God will be poured out on the unregenerate, rebellious people who have rejected Jesus. Yet another perspective presents the church enduring all of the tribulation period. In this view, Jesus, Jesus will return after the great tribulation to execute righteousness and justice. At his return, at the end of the tribulation, according to this view, the dead in Christ will be resurrected, the living saints will be transformed, and Jesus will immediately bring them with him to defeat Satan and his minions and establish his peaceable kingdom on this earth. One final perspective I would give you states that all of the events prophesied about the coming kingdom of the Lord have already taken place. The tribulation and persecution and woes upon the people of God talked about in scripture has been fulfilled around 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple by the Romans. 
And now it is up to us to live as citizens of the kingdom and to transform this world so that it comes under the authority of King Jesus. Now, what I've given you are oversimplifications of what at times are very complex positions. There's a lot more that could be and probably should be said about every one of them. And the only reason I bring them up is to demonstrate the broad perspective, the broad range of perspectives, and to show you how the perspective determines your conclusions. To one group, conflict on the earth is the precursor to the catching away of the righteous, while to another, it is part of the tribulation to endure, and to yet another, it signals the end of the world. So you need to know the perspective of the person interpreting both scripture and world events. There are a lot of experts always touting some new revelation about the end times. And the more sensationalistic, the larger the crowd that flocks to hear it. With such a broad range of perspectives, it's no wonder people are confused. It's no wonder people get frightened because the unknown is frightening. In the midst of rampant confusion and fear, what I want to try to do for the remainder of this message is dial down the noise, settle the fear, and provide a biblical balanced approach to living as a child of the heavenly king in these times. When Israel is at war, when volcanoes erupt, when earthquakes strike, when there is an upheaval in nature, when strange phenomenon occurs in the heavens, what does all this mean to us? What are we to make of it, and how should we live in light of these things? Let me give you three guidelines that will keep you steady and solid when the world around you is going crazy. And by the way, I'm probably not going to preach this message and you're probably not gonna be very satisfied with it when I get to the end of it because I'm not gonna answer all of your questions. <clears throat> Just forewarn you about that. But I do wanna give you guidelines that will keep you steady and solid in the middle of everything going nuts. First, respond with steadfastness not speculation. <clears throat> Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verses four through six. See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Watch this now. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened for these things must take place but that is not yet the end. <clears throat> of course, I mean, that was only Jesus, right? <clears throat> the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessaloniki and said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. 
let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Pay attention to what Jesus told his disciples in our text from Acts chapter 1 when they ask about when the kingdom was going to be restored to Israel. He said in verse 7, it is not for you to know times or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus, is this the end? Not for you to know. There are some things that are on a need-to-know basis, and this is one of those things, and you don't need to know. Oh, oh, but, oh, but Jesus, teacher so-and-so and prophet such-and-such are talking about signs in the heavens, things like unusual eclipses and blood moons, and, and others are writing books about the restoration of a rebuilt temple and the birth of a true red heifer whose sacrificial ashes can now be used to purify the temple and the reconstructed instruments for worship. What about those signs? Jesus responds in Matthew 16, 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. Go ahead. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This time it seems certain to be the end because Israel is being attacked by a coalition of nations identified in the Bible as pointing to the end. Have you paid attention to how many times the nation of Israel has been surrounded by enemy nations just since its reestablishment in 1948? The attack by Hamas last month is only the most recent in a long list of aggressions against this nation just in recent history. So how can you be certain this is the one spoken of by the prophets? The answer is you can't. Remember, you understand prophecy in hindsight. So stop speculating. You're wasting your time and valuable resources. Pastor, you seem a little upset. Yeah, I'm annoyed. So I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to just get this off my chest today. I am. I'm annoyed by all of the fear mongers that are among us. Jesus plainly told us there is information intentionally withheld from us about the timing of the final restoration of his kingdom. He also told, watch this, he also told us what we are to do instead of speculating about the end times. You may not have, you may not have caught that, so let me give it to you again. It is not for you to know times or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Did you get that? When you hear of wars escalating, when you hear of signs in the heavens, when you hear of upheavals in nature, stop speculating. Be steadfast. You have some marching orders. Instead of trying to figure out the timing of the end, be filled with the Spirit. Be my witnesses. Don't be alarmed when the world is turning upside down. You stay steady. Keep living in the power of the Spirit. 
Trying to understand and determine if something is the fulfillment of prophecy is wasting a lot of mental bandwidth on something Jesus said was not for us to know and keeps us from the most important business of actively engaging this world with the witness of Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. When the world is careening out of control, the key to peace is Isaiah 26 and 3. The steadfast of mind, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. When everything seems to be coming unhinged, you respond with 1 Corinthians 15, 68. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Every time you are tempted to become alarmed because of the latest word you hear about the end times, remember to respond with steadfastness, not speculation. Second, live with anticipation, not apprehension. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, dismay among nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear, the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore... Run around like a chicken with his head chopped off and be anxious about everything. No. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He wrote to the young pastor at Crete in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly... There's a good word for us. I'm sorry, I got off track. Squirrel. And to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. See, regardless of what this world throws at us, we who are part of the household of faith do not live in apprehension. We do not live in fear. We do not live in anxiety. Although we do not know when Jesus will return, we have his promise. He is coming. Every crisis, every tragedy, every conflict is an assurance. His coming is closer than it has ever been. This is not a time for apprehension. It's a time for anticipation. Jesus is coming. And this is a blessed hope. This is a word of comfort and cheer. This is the anticipation of our long-awaited redemption. 
Reports of outbreaks of violence and catastrophes of nature and political scandals and epidemics spreading should not throw us into a tailspin of hopeless despair. Crisis doesn't mean God has abandoned us or that the world is out of control. It doesn't mean evil will have the final word. It's the pointing to the fulfillment of what we have anticipated for so long, the return of the Lord Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom. This is not the time for apprehension or alarm. This is the time to tune into the frequency of heaven. Shut out the distractions of this world. Close your ears to the siren songs of this age that seeks to entice you to ignore the things of God and abandon the hope of his promise. Jesus is coming, so live with anticipation, not apprehension. Not only are we to respond with steadfastness, not speculation, and not only are we to live with anticipation, not apprehension, but finally, we are to focus on the Savior, not Satan. Let me give you a list of names and a few events, and you tell me what they have in common. It's a whole big list. Nero... Caligula, Muhammad, Emperor Frederick II, Pope Gregory IX, Martin Luther, King George II of England, Napoleon Bonaparte, the North during the Civil War and the South during the Civil War, Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany, the League of Nations, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, King Faisal of Saudi Arabia, the United Nations, Nikita Khrushchev, the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, King Juan Carlos of Spain, Pope John Paul II, Anwar Sadat, Ayatollah Khomeini, Yasser Arafat, Saddam Hussein, the New Age Movement, theologian Matthew Fox, Henry Kissinger, former presidents Jimmy Carter, and Ronald Wilson Reagan. At some point in history, every one of these have been confidently identified as Antichrist. Should the return of Jesus be delayed, I suspect there will be many others added to this list. Eventually, somebody will probably get it right, but it won't be because they have some special revelation it will just be because if you guess long enough, you will probably eventually accidentally stumble on the right answer. Throw the dart at the dartboard enough times and sometime you're probably gonna hit a bullseye. Here's what I know. If you spend your time focused on the works of darkness and the evil one, every time an alarm sounds, you'll panic. You'll spend your life terrified of the possibilities that are lurking, just waiting to pounce on you. And the focus for the child of God must always be on the Savior, 
Our focus is on Christ, not Antichrist. That's why the writer said in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. When wars arise, keep your eyes on Jesus. When famine occurs, keep your eyes on Jesus. When nature is out of control, keep your eyes on Jesus. When calamity strikes, keep your eyes on Jesus. When it looks like evil is going to triumph, keep your eyes on Jesus. No matter what it looks like in the short term, the end is certain. Because when all is said and done, this world is going to experience the truth of Philippians 2, 9 through 11. God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things on the earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm, I'm telling you today, evil does not have the final word in this world. God does. The end is not the demise of everything we hold dear. The end is not a world in crisis. The end is not a time of great tribulation. The end is not the rule of Antichrist. Oh, no. The end is Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The end is Revelation 5.13. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. The end is Revelation 11 and 15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The end is Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the grand finale. It all ends in Jesus. 
Keep your focus on Christ, not Antichrist. Keep your focus on the Savior, not Satan. Jesus is the mighty conqueror. Let not your heart be troubled. The end is already determined, and the final outcome is this. We win. Hallelujah. Well, I wasn't planning to get all excited about that today, but too late. It, this is goodness. What, what, what troubles me is the angst that I hear and I see when people hear about all of these things going on. It's not cause for alarm. Let me conclude with this final word. Pastor Larry, come give me some stopping music. <laughs> Not that it's ever stopped me before, but uh, one can always hope. <laughs> While we are not to be anxious or fearful about world events, the fact remains Jesus is coming back. And while we wait for his return, there are two things we must do. First, we must be ready. We must be ready. Walking in relationship with him. Surrender to his lordship. Because we don't know when he's coming, that means we need to be ready all the time. We have to be ready. Second, we must be about the business of the kingdom. Empowered with the Holy Spirit, reaching our world for Jesus. The return of the Lord is not terrifying for those who have put their faith and trust in Him. See, the reason we get alarmed, the reason we panic, the reason, the reason we have all this angst is because we've lost our focus. But for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, this is our blessed hope. This is the promise and comfort of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Peter writes this. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy con conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Watch this. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Keep your focus upward. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't, don't abandon your marching orders. In another place, Jesus said it like this, occupy until I come. 
Do what I told you. What's the last thing he told us to do? Be filled with the Spirit and be my witnesses. So that's what I want to ask you. Are, are you being filled with the Spirit and are you doing the work of the kingdom? Not are you running all the numbers and adding the, the digits in, or, or the letters in somebody's name to come up with 666. You're laughing, that's going on. You know it is, because you've bought the books. Be focused on, are you doing, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you, are you doing the work of the kingdom? Or are you buying somebody's book about the latest blood moon scare? I told you, you're probably going to have way more questions than answers when we get done with this message. And you're, some of you probably are already upset with me now, and you're trying to decide whether or not you're even going to come back next week. Sorry. Not sorry. Do, do you understand? We, our lives would be so much richer and so much more peaceful. And we would, we'd, be, we'd be much less disturbed if we just kept our focus on Jesus. Can somebody just keep your focus on Jesus? You know, somebody wrote a, a, a song and the chorus of it, we sing around here sometimes, that said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Amen. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim okay. in the light of his glory and grace. That's what I want to encourage you to do as the people of Restoration Church. You know, I've, I got way too much to do trying to be filled with the Spirit and trying to do the work of the kingdom than to waste my time, than to spend my time on, on, on all of these speculative things. I just, see, doing the work of the kingdom means I'm trying to get you ready for the kingdom. I'm trying to teach you how to live as citizens of the kingdom. So before the final benediction of this service, I want to ask, are you ready to meet Jesus? Should all the pieces fall into place today and Jesus return, are you ready? I urge you, don't leave this service without the assurance you're ready to meet Jesus. Bow with me for a moment, please. Lord, I've done the best I know how to deliver what I believe you have deposited in my spirit for this service. And I just ask now that anything that I've said that is not in keeping with, with truth or with what you would want us to know, I pray that that would just dissipate out of our minds. We'd never give it another thought.
But anything that is solid and is something that you want to say to us, drive it into our spirits, I pray, so we will never forget it. And we will learn to live by it. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will take this time. And while we pause for a moment in your presence, that you'll speak to our hearts. And if there's someone not yet surrendered to Jesus, not yet ready to meet him, that you will prod them to make that decision today.